So good afternoon and uh, welcome to today's session. This podcast promises to be really exciting because we have a great host who's going to tell her incredible story, which I've already heard, but we can't wait for the rest of you to hear. We have Angela Chu. Good afternoon, Angela. How are you? Hi, Sam. Good to be here. I'm doing fine. How about you? Yeah, not too bad, actually. And, uh, you know, as I just mentioned before, you've had a really interesting, interesting and incredible journey through procurement and supply chain across some um, really important and really interesting organizations, uh, which we're dying to hear about. But of course, as in most cases, we're just really interested in finding out what the foundation to your success and your experience has been. So um, I guess we'll, we'll take it from the start. Yes, so, I'm happy to share some of the life experiences. Yeah. So where did it all begin, Angela? Talk about uh, where you're from and what it was like growing up. I was born in a relative small city in China. I call it small. It's six million of inhabitants. So, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's one of the capital city of a big province in China. So it's not that small. And uh, I, I was the first child. I'm the first child in the family. Uh, my father is a doctor. He has studied Chinese medicine and also Western medicine. And uh, he was uh, running a practice uh, for a big uh, factories, I think 4,000 people or so. And then five years later on, my, my brother was born. So I was the big sister of another young brother. So that's how my family looked like. What happened next? Which, which direction did, did your life then take in terms of education and direction? Uh, I went to university in my hometown. So I learned, uh, I studied international trade and uh, economics. And uh, that was the early times when China opened up. So that uh, subject was very, very interesting for me. And uh, I was speaking very well English at that time. So that was actually the two things combined together using a foreign language but I also learned economics and trade. So for me, that was the, the idea subject I had chosen. And uh, after that, um, I, when I graduated, I went to uh, a kind of Chinese government to, who helped all the foreign investors, like big companies who want to start investing in China. So I was helping them to make all these uh, administrative processes, you know, helping them to build up the plants. Until one day I saw an advertisement from Siemens. So it was in local newspaper and uh, it was very obvious because it's written in English. So I read this through the advertisement. Uh, they were looking for an assistant for a general manager who is going to set up a factory in my hometown uh, to producing big power transformers. I've had no clue what Siemens is about at that time because imagine there was no internet. So there's no chance you can Google the name. And because it's written in, in English, then none of my relatives or my parents knows who the company is. Yeah. So I kind of uh, thought to myself, that sounds something interesting. And I really like to use my English and also my know-how, what I learned in the university, to really go to the business. So I wanted to leave the government, basically. And of course, you can imagine at that time, China was yeah, at the beginning of opening up. So having a foreign-owned joint venture is something which people don't, don't understand it yet so well, especially you're going to receive a employment contract, which is only valid for three years. My parents said, you are ridiculous. You have a stable life, fourth year of life here. You can see even through your retirement, 
you have housing, you have all the fundings, finance by, by your current employer, why you want to go somewhere, you have only a three-year contract. So in this environment here where China is opening up, uh, has that influenced your kind of, I guess, uh, you know, entrepreneurial or adventurous spirit where uh, you suddenly see this advert at the same time that China is opening up and you think, yeah, this is something I may be interested in? Yes, indeed. I was looking at the job advertisements really supporting the general manager to find a piece of land and start building up plants, you know, recruiting people and acquiring the first customers. Now, so I was reading the job profile and I found this is something I've never done, so I want to do that. I learned at the university, but I've not done that in real life. Therefore, for me, it's really, I wanted to, to have something to try it out. Interesting. So, 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 so it was a risk, really. I mean, does that characterize um, you as a person before university or, or, or as a person in general, general, someone who's going to take those risks and chances? Because you were in a very stable job. Yes, I think I'm a person I don't like to have too, too stable life. When it's too stable, then I said there's no excitement in life anymore, right? So maybe that's what started from my younger age. I'm also, I'm the person, if I'm looking at something, I really drill it down and I want to achieve that. Yeah. So so to bring it back in, the, in this case, I was telling to my parents, I have no clue what Siemens is about, but I like the contact with the contents about the job itself. Then I went for interview. And of course, they picked me immediately because in my hometown, there were not so many people who speak really fluent English at that time. So I was chosen. So I have to really make a decision within, I think, two weeks' time to, to go there or, you know, to stay, right? So that started a big, big fight at home, as you can imagine. Even nowadays, my parents said, you know, we, we really was not able to capture what we were trying. What, what drive you? You look like a little bit crazy at that moment, yeah? And they were so much worried because I'm giving up something for them in their generation. It's something that's really, really stable. Uh, it's like a gold box or gold cages you are in. You might not be have all the excitement, but you are safe, right? And this three-year contract in John Winterson, who knows what is that? Who is Siemens at all, right? So we had a lot of discussions, but they knew me. I'm a little bit also, you know, determined. So they tried to find a solution. So it was by chance, my uncle came to visit us. He's an electrical engineer. He works for the Chinese uh, railways uh, at that time. And he said, then I showed him this advertisement. And then he said to my parents, ah, this green logo, I've seen it. I've seen it sometimes in our equipments, in, in some, uh, some devices. So that must be a company behind that. So it's not so small. It's, it's imported from Germany, I heard. So it was the only arguments convinced my parents. They said, okay, if you really want to do that, we try to keep your position in the government. They go, they went there, they applied. I, I applied for a three-year non-paid leave because my parents said, let's do everything to keep your position in the government in case after three years, everything go, went, goes wrong you still have a chance to come back to the, to return to the government. So we made an arrangement with the government that I'm off for three years. And at the same time, I went for Siemens. But that was actually, if I'm not looking back to, 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 to that time, I think it's a little bit of risk taking uh, for something which is unknown, for something which uh, you have nothing at hand, but you also feel there's something you can make out of that. Yeah, there is something you can make uh, something different out of that, but you don't know what's that. <laughs> so I think this little excitement, I think for me, is like 
yeah, if you don't try it out, you never know what the result would be. So, so you're now in, you, you've now made this big decision. You you've you've in effect gone against the the ultimate wishes of your family, well, most of your family apart from your uncle. You've now joined Siemens, and uh, so talk us through that. Was it everything you thought it would be, and uh, and how did that shape you? Um, I have to say it's a great company, great experiences. So I was, I think, the first. There were five employees when I joined the company. I was a number five. So it's really like general manager, production manager, commercial manager. That's it. Then we start to find a place to build the building, and then to look at where to include uh, buy um, machineries for equipments. We started uh, production plans. We, we hired people. We trained the people. We, I was heading some delegations to Germany to learn the technologies, to learn the way of manufacturing assemblies. And uh, I was also heading a lot of delegations from Germany to look at different Chinese uh, supplier bases, you know, do the qualification or technology transfer. And I was also part of the uh, first uh, customer acquisition. So they said we start production, we need to have customers. So I was also part of the first uh, sales project uh, until the, one of the, the local customers uh, purchased their first transformers. So I headed that delegation to Germany, you know, visit all the headquarters, made all the commercial agreements, all et cetera, et cetera. So it was, um, yeah, it's really, really busy year. But I think that was a starting point for me to have really good overview what that means to run a business. And that's your foundation for what, what's that? Is, is that your first year in Siemens? The pretty much. Yes, that was my first year in Siemens. I think after one half year. The, the factory started really operating uh, up and running. We signed the first uh, uh, customer contracts, and we have a, a very official day, uh, official inauguration day. So at the opening day, there was then every. I think we employed about 300, 400 people at that moment. And then uh, after this uh, first week, then my general manager came to ask me, "Hey, now we're going to set up different departments, right? We have." We, our production starts start running, we have HR, we have accounting, we have uh, sales, we have procurement. And, um, but I think you are most qualified for sales or for procurement. And he said, so which one do you prefer? And I thought to myself, and based on my first experiences, like acquiring customers, you know, doing the sales build in this contract, and also the celebration of that, he said, I'm really not good at drinking alcohol because every time if you go to customers, you when you sign the contracts, there you have so many celebrations, you have to drink so many <laughs> alcohol. I'm really not able to take it. I go to procurement. Boom. So this is how I started with procurement. So Angela, having chosen procurement over sales, what do you like most about procurement? Procurement is all about uh, people business. I really love to work with people and finding solutions. I actually love the excitement of there's a lot of things I know, right? Things can change within weeks or days. And uh, be able to master that complexity is a rewarding for me. What I also like is sometimes it's risk-taking, right? Be able to make decisions. Also, sometimes we don't have 100% uh, information ready, but then evaluate what are the risks, what, uh, what, can you, what opportunities you are. What decisions are you make? Are you able to, you know, forcing those risks are under control? I think those are things are uh, excitement for me uh, in procurement. 
<laughs> and that's so interesting because a lot of people draw analogies between um, the similarities between procurement and sales. And I think you're, maybe your general manager did the same thing. But actually, what you're pointing out is that there are also some some massive differences between procurement and sales and uh, i'm not sure whether you know alcohol is is necessarily one of them but uh, i'm sure it differs from person to person but uh so you've made that choice to go into procurement uh, and uh presumably it's not a choice you you you've regretted so uh but but it's a green field i mean the procurement department doesn't exist at that point it's not as if you went into a procurement department so 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 how was that experience How, how, how did you now set this up um, basically, we used all the knowledges we have from the production planning. So basically, that's how we started. Then we have a production planning that translated into a procurement plan, right? And then we look at where do we buy the material and where, how long does it take, whether we buy it locally in China or we have to import from other countries. And so at that time, we did a lot of import uh, to, to make sure the quality is well. We, of course, same time launched also the uh, whole qualification processes to build up Chinese suppliers. So it was like a little bit in parallel, you know, make sure that the first deliveries will go out and same time also to, you know, make sure to qualify local suppliers. I was able to hire a lot of colleagues at that time who are either have a commercial knowledge or have technolo- technology knowledge. So basically the technical understanding and same time combination with commercial understanding was a key, uh, let's say, uh, successful factors of this procurement organization, which we built up. And I think we were able to really finish the whole qualification process, also the technology transfer, within two or three years' time. And that has reduced tremendously you know, uh, costs. You know, that we don't need to import a lot of material anymore. Wow. So, you, so not only have you set up a procurement function, but you've, in, in effect, built up a local, local sourcing capability, which is fantastic. And from a procurement perspective, um, this is the foundation of your career here, here in Siemens. How long were you in this role? Uh, I was three and a half years in a row, so by doing those things, I also felt there must be some process in place because it's very difficult to explain every buyer when they are, came to the company what this procurement is about and what to do, where to, how the purchasing order looks like, and who has to sign on the purchasing orders. And so I created the first uh, purchasing handbook. It was not available at Siemens in China, so I was the first one to really write all the procedures, processes, what are the key milestones on the whole uh, procurement setup, including at that time we were also responsible for stock, so stock master, master material master um, module at that time. So it was also we are onboarding a new technology. Therefore, I write um, this handbook, which is a guiding principle basically how the whole purchasing department functions, and that handbook has been utilized afterwards. For many other companies who are who are under construction or who are bidding up their own uh, production, Siemens at that time we had about uh, from I think we were the first ten, and then later on uh, after this within the three years it was like uh, almost sixty six zero sixty factories was bidding up in China just by Siemens alone. So you can imagine that purchasing handbook which I have created was a kind of small Bible for all the purchasing department, which is coming after, after us. And uh, I was often requested to go to different plants to help them to, to validate, is it the right setup? Is the process okay? How the organization should look like? You know, so I was like traveling around helping them. And then uh, suddenly the, the Siemens headquarters in China, they, in Beijing, they recognize what I'm doing is like a corporate function. So they said, why don't you come to Beijing and work here in our headquarters? 
So this is what I what I did actually in the, in the next uh, five to six years. I was doing uh, two things major major. One is the the whole category management setup for whole China. So basically, when every manufacturer starts manufacturing, there's a lot of common commodities. So therefore, we recombine all the demand, deep joint qualifications, price negotiations. And this is one thing where I was uh, bidding up. The other piece was the um, a whole, you know, I, I become an in-house consultant. So I become one of the in-house consultants who goes around, does training, uh, really on process and education on, on the buyers. Second is also evaluation how the process looked like, how the, the organization setup is, you know, how their strategy is interlinked with the company strategy. So that was uh, in the sum up, it was nine and a half years. I was working for Siemens from very operatic, later on to strategic, later on to in-house consultant. And within that time, I was also working one year out of Munich uh, from our headquarter recruitment uh, logistics centers. So it was a extremely a long journey, I have to say, very exciting. I learned so many things and I'm really, really grateful for the, the really good training system the Siemens have had for buyers from junior to, to senior levels. And so I think that was the best time I really learned about procurement in all different angles and uh, also of very hands-on practices. That, that, and that's so interesting in terms of when you mentioned you set up the the, the buyer's handbook and then you, you then progressed upwards to, to, to do that at more of a corporate level. But how representative was that of the maturity of procurement in China at the time? Was Siemens... Um, that approach was that common, or was uh, were they you know head and shoulders um, ahead of other uh, procurement supply chain functions in other organisations at the time, or not? Uh, at that time, even though I look back, I think Siemens in terms of procurement is still very advanced, especially at that time when China was opening up. A lot of foreign invested companies coming to China tried up try to build up factories here and there, right? But I think systematically training onboarding employees and telling them what procurements are about. You know, we started talking about what is purchasing, what is procurement, what is strategic procurement, what is operative procurement, what are the pros and cons if you bring them together or you separate them. So very, very systematically training, I would say. And uh, this is, I think, all of us at that time benefit from there. And if I look to the peers at that time outside of Siemens, I still feel we are quite advanced compared to many other big multinationals who at the same time went into China market. Interesting. So what was next for you? So you, you, you've got your foundation in Siemens, uh, but of course you weren't there forever. So, so what was next? Yes, I was uh, headhunted by a company called uh, Leibold Optics, which is uh, headquartered close to Frankfurt, very, very small town called Arsenal. So uh, they, they found me actually through a Siemens connection. They said, oh, we heard you're doing great things for, for Siemens. So why don't you consider to move to Germany and work in Germany, right? And uh, at that time, I started to pick the German language. So I went to a uh, German language on the evenings or on the weekends. I want to learn this language because I work with many German colleagues, as you can imagine, right? I, tried, I, tried it one, I truly wanted to understand their culture and also their way of thinking. But I think this is something fascinating. We Chinese think sometimes different than the Germans. So therefore, how do you understand how they think and how they function? I think this goes via you, you want to have a detailed understanding that you have to understand the culture, starting by learning the language. 
this is how I felt. If you want to be integrated somehow, start always with language, then you suddenly enter a total different world. So that's what, that's why when they offered me to work inside Germany, that was for me a good timing because I was close to 10 years at Siemens. I was like learning so many things and did so many good things for the company. And I felt maybe there's something which I don't know outside. So I want to see totally different side of the company. So LIGO Optics was uh, globally at that time 400 employees, but they are they were at that time number one uh, in the vacuum industry. So it's a niche branch. And uh, therefore I was fascinated just to say, hey, do something new. So there was two things. One is really move to Germany, you know, get to know the culture in depth. Same times there's something unknown comes. Very exciting. Another big surprise for me when I joined Highboard, I have to say, is that day one, when I entered the company, I was informed there's going to be a strike. Strike for me was, I have no clue what strike is about because in China we never strike. So it was not in my DNA. So I have no clue. Then I thought, what should I do? And then they said, oh, you know, that, and that, uh, I think 10 o'clock we're going to on the streets. Uh, we, we don't agree to something, so we go on this, go on strike. Are you, then they asked me, are you a tariff worker or are you a non-tariff worker? I've had no clue what that means. I said, I don't know. What are you? He said, oh, I'm a tariff worker. And I said, most likely I'm also a tariff worker. Then he said, oh, then come with me. So I, 10 o'clock, I stamped out because it's kind of, a con I don't know whether it's counted as working time or not counted. I have to stamp out. Then I wait on the streets. It was like for me a festival because people <laughs> shout. I don't understand any German language. But I was in the, in the, in the, in the parrot. I was, you know, raising a small flag and I saw people were shouting. I, I was enjoying that. I thought it like a festival. <laughs> and then I came back and continued work. Some days later, the HR call, the department called me. They said, Hey, Angela, you, you are, you should, you're supposed not to join that. I said, what's the problem? And you are not, you are, you are non-tariff worker. You can, you doesn't belong there. <laughs> I said, I have no clue. I, I, I really had no clue. But that's given me a good uh, foundation to work with my colleagues. Wow. So that really accelerated your, your cultural assimilation and your, your, your work situation as well, I guess, in terms of uh, getting that supplier relationships going. You're with this organization, Lipart, for a period of time. Uh, and what was your role while you were there? I was a, a global sourcing manager to really build up the global sourcing department. It was also very something new for the company because they were sourcing very closely into the, to the factory and they really wanted to you know, go outside. Go outside means also to you know, qualify suppliers in Italy, in Spain, in East Europe. And same time, they wanted to build up a manufacturing unit in China. So I was also helping to look at all the supplier base where I've qualified at that time for Siemens, for instance, whether some, some, some of the supplier can be also utilized for this purpose. So how long were you with them and, and what, what kind of prompted you to, to, to take your next step in your career? I was almost two years there. And uh, what I did is uh, I had <laughs> some Chinese supplier visiting me for this company. I recognized, uh, okay, um, because it's a very niche in the industry uh, field, so we don't buy millions and millions of machines anymore, which I was used by, by like Siemens, right? We buy like 100 pieces, because they are producing at that time, I remember 
120, 150 equipments per year. So that you can imagine the quantity what I'm going to buy is really, really small. So I thought, why don't I call uh, um, the, the big factory next door, which is five kilometers away, which is ABB. And I called the purchasing manager from ABB. I said, you guys might source the same product like we do. So why don't we team up and then share the resources, you know, share where do I buy, where do you buy? Then we have a little bit also you know, consolidation of the purchasing volume. And uh, we share also the procedures of, you know, qualification of, uh, of the suppliers, right? So um, the purchasing manager at that time had liked the idea. So we had some exchange. Like, of course, I get personally to know the organization a bit better. Until they called me, they said, hey, why don't you come to us? You know, we are going to do the same <laughs> like Daiko is doing. So, uh, yeah, so I'm back to ABB. You know, ABB was for me always the biggest competitor for Siemens over years. Wherever Siemens go, there's ABB, right? And ABB developed very nicely also over the time when I was uh, working for, for Siemens. So that doesn't, uh, you know, took me a long time to think about through because I know it's a great respect for a company where I really think it's technology leader and I said yeah, time to change. Yeah, so that's why I joined um, ABB. So, so your, your reputation in the industry and the profession is growing by now. And I mean, you, you're really moving um, up the ladder uh, almost by recommendation at this stage, um, which is a great place to be at that, at that time of your career. So what were you able to achieve in ABB? Uh, I went to that factory, so my job was also a um, global sourcing manager to really build up, uh, you know, qualified suppliers in Eastern Europe and also in China and India. Uh, due to that, you know, we have high pressure of a lot of uh, competitors around the markets. So my job is really helping to keep the cost down. I build up a small department there, really, you know, focusing on qualified such suppliers. I think we were quite successful. What I did on top of that was actually what I did was at, at that time also a little bit uh, special for ABB because I thought um, we have a lot of ABB companies in, inside of Germany, uh, but we didn't talk to each other because ABB was very decentralized uh, lead or led at that time. And therefore I called some of the purchasing managers. You know, I was in different locations visiting them. And they came to visit me. We said, actually, we are buying similar things, right? Why don't we team up? So we formulated also regional category talks, you know, to sharing supply information, you know, jointly qualifying supplier, you know, solve quality issues. So that became a little bit like um, self-grown <laughs> regional category setup. And then ABB headquarters recognized and they said, hey, what you are doing is actually belongs to headquarters, so come join us in headquarters. This is how I end up again in the headquarters setup uh, 2009, and uh, since then I was uh, yeah in Zurich. And that's interesting because you're you're almost taking your expertise, uh, working it from the bottom up, and replicating that idea. So um, as you mentioned before, you know with, with Siemens, uh, you're looking at those core procurement and supply chain principles uh, of, of consolidation, I guess, of category management until it gets recognized at the highest possible place in the organization, which is head office, uh, where, where you can gain, gain the, most, uh, the most economy. So, so another international move, you know, from China to Germany, you're now in Switzerland, you're, you're, you're now in the head office. Um, what happens next? So when I moved to Switzerland, our new group CPO just joined. He came from uh, Port Automotive, Mr. Danny Hemmick. He has uh, the brisk vision to really create the decentralized procurement organization, bring them to much more group-led 
the matrix organization yeah, to really utilize the group synergies. And uh, the experience I've, I've done in Germany, of course, made that a good you know, stepping stone to say, hey, let's replicate those good ideas across the globe, right? So you can imagine each and every factory, we have some purchasing organizations there. So my job was really to help the group, first of all, define what's going to be group categories. So what are the common materials, raw materials or semi-finished products? Those are going to be group uh, categories. And then what's going to be managed regionally? Because we did, it's a huge organization. We, everything won't be able to manage out of headquarters. Then we have going to set up regional offices and how this category strategy should be looked like in regional, and then what is locally managed. So we have to build up a really systematic approach, uh, which is you know, how to do strategic sourcing on group level, on regional level, and locally. And of course, how the organization should be looked like around that, right? How the tools and templates will look like, how those review sessions will be looked like. It's called mm -hmm. continuous improvement process sourcing, now SIPs. So I think this is uh, one big piece which I've uh, delivered within three years. Now I was constantly traveling around the globe, you know, talking about the new way of working, but also to, to articulate what is in right for the local organization, right? This is a change management piece. Eventually, what were the challenges you're facing when you, when you move to the business unit? I joined that business unit 1st of March, uh, I think 2012. And uh, when I joined, my business unit manager came to me and says, what can you do more uh, to, you know, in terms of savings? I said, what do you mean more? He said about, you know, your predecessor was doing that about 3% of savings uh, on annual base. What do you think about maybe 6%? I said, if I would have known that, I would have negotiated with you a better salary. <laughs> and then I said to myself, maybe that's also me. I said, why should I say no? Because I've not tested everything. And of course, based on my understanding with the, uh, the, the three and a half years when I work for the group, I know more or less how this business unit is set up. I know more or less how the organization, where do they stand? So I said to my boss, I said, um, yeah, I'm going to try to do that. But you have to imagine in AVB's uh, terms, a saving is means that um, when you pay the invoice, that means you take the average price of this year minus the price last year times the quantity. The savings is only captured at the time when the invoice is paid and it's an automatic process. So it's on parts level comparable. So there's no chance. Basically, there's almost no chance you can manipulate any reporting. So that's me. I said, yeah, let me try it, but don't kill me if I achieve at the end only 5.9%. He was laughing. He was okay with that. Yeah. So uh, my predecessor has organized a meeting that was, uh, I joined 1st of March. He organized, I think, one year ago, a global meeting with the top leaders, I think, 16th of March, 16th, 18th of March in China. So I thought to myself, I basically had two weeks' time to figure out what shall we do with this these new targets, right? My team has even not been informed they are going to have a new target. They know I'm coming on board, but they don't know what I'm doing with. So I thought to myself, how should I tackle that? I've had no clue, actually. Basically, what I can do is I went into the data analytics, you know, look at the data, make my some thoughts on that, where can we improve? But indeed, I don't have really much time to really go into in-depth 
understanding of that business unit. So when I know I'm going to meet this, I think there was 35 people around the globe, the top uh, recruitment managers we are gathering in China. By the time when I went walked to, to, the, to the big meeting rooms, I have no clue what I'm going to talk about. I didn't know how I can tell them now you have a new target. So I went there, I said to my guys, I said, very happy to be here. I knew many of you, but I still don't know any, every one of you, so it's a good time that we get to know each other. There were three-day workshops here. But before we start the workshop, there's one thing I would like to inform you, that our boss says this year, we're going to have a new target, which is 6%. When I saw those people, you know, widening their eyes and say, this lady is crazy, right? She has no clue what 6% means. And I said, um, per, by the way, I said, it's my personal target. I accept it, has nothing to do with you guys, but I would like to let you know I'm taking a higher target this year. And uh, then that's it. So now it's our workshop. Let's look at, I want to get to know you a bit more. I want to know what are the things you feel we can, I can do to support you. And I, before I started that session, I, I told them a monkey story. That's an experiment. Uh, I don't know who has founded this ex experiment. It was like they have bring, I think, five or six monkeys together in a one uh, cage, and uh, they keep them a little bit hungry. And they hang in a bunch of bananas over their heads. And uh, the monkeys, whenever they try to catch up the bananas, they get cold water poured on their heads. And um, so they did quite a few times until no monkey wanted to grab any bananas anymore. So they are hungry, but they look at banana, but they, 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 they don't have any interest anymore. They don't dare to jump up anymore. Then they took out one monkey off the cage and put in the new monkey there. And that monkey tried to capture that uh, banana. And all the rest of the monkeys, you know, put him down. You know, don't do that because cold water will pull on the head. Yeah. So that monkey tried, but all the others, you know, put him down, put him down. Yeah. And then they, the experiment went on. They took out one of the other monkeys, exchanged with another new monkey. And that new monkey came in, also tried to get the banana. And uh, the rest monkeys kept him down. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. So they continued the experiment until they exchanged all the rest of the monkeys with all new monkeys. So the five, six monkeys, none of them had ever experienced cold water. But they were told by the others, don't do that. It's dangerous, too cold for us. Let's be like that. We are a little bit hungry, but so what? We're okay. Let's wait for the meal time, right? Then I said this story. I said to my, to my team, I said, you know, I want to hear from you guys. I'm the new monkey here. I think there might be something we can do together. But maybe I need you to work with me that we all jump together and try it. What do you think? I have no idea what to do, but you guys might have better ideas. And then one of the colleagues starts to uh, stand up, stood, stood up. She said, you know, actually, I'm also a new monkey. I'm here since two years. I think we should have done this. We should, we can do that. We can try this out. Another colleague stood up and says, yeah, indeed, I'm also a new monkey. I'm here with a job five years, but I think we should try this. We should try that, you know, by... By asking everybody's inputs, actually, that was a good starting up to say there's a lot of intelligence in the group. 
I don't have to go there tell them what to do. There are so many intelligence, so many wisdoms in the team that they know what is what is need to be done. Maybe they didn't have a chance to to to, to test it. They didn't have a chance or resources to do that, or the time timing was not right. So I think I give them pretty much a free platform that we collected all these ideas. Then we went back into workshop mode and talked about this and our ideas. What can we do to achieve that? So three days later, when I finished my workshop, I went back to Zurich. I know I have a plan now. How do I achieve the 6%? And uh, indeed, uh, we started in March when I joined. We, we have a curve like that, right? So our 3% like this. And then April is like this, May is like that, June is like that. Yeah, every end of the month, my boss became a bit nervous. He said, where are my 6%? What are you doing? When I, do I see the savings come, right? So I told him, this is my project plan. These are my milestones. Savings can only be captured when the invoice is paid. So even though if I negotiate best contract in April, I have to use first all the materials on stock until I place new orders, until we have 60 day, 90 days payment terms. You have to give me four or five months so that I can tell you there's something coming, right? So I always have to calm him down and say, yes, we will be there, we will be there. So, yeah, so this is how we actually ended up in, this, in, uh, in um, July, August. We slightly see the curve is really arising. September, October, November, we are already at 6%. So I think around about December time, we overachieved. I think that year we were like 6.2% savings achieved. So from that moment, my team, when I had the global meeting with them the second year, they get used to that and said, let's go for now. They get used, also my manager get used to, to that. Let's go for 6%. So the five years I was on the job, every year we have to deliver 5%, which is 6%, which is a very high challenging target. You know, you do procurement, right? So it's a lot of work behind that. But I think we were... We were, we were doing quite well. We teamed up with operations, we teamed up with R&Ds. We look at all the alternatives. We were constantly searching the markets, bring supplies ideas on board it. So we were able to achieve these targets constantly five years. So that's something I'm also particularly proud of that. Fascinating story. Great inspirational part of your story. Um, but of course, you weren't, you weren't finished there because you moved on from ABB. Tell us about that. Yes, I received a headhunter call uh, at that time. So they said, hey, we, are, we are going to talk about you, uh, Lufthansa Group, right? CPO position. And uh, there's one thing I have to say, I, I'm strongly linked with aviation because uh, my husband uh, was flying over 20 years. So he was a captain, actually, for Swiss International Airlines. And uh, when we when we when we get to know each other, we didn't have kids, and we I was traveling with him quite a lot. So I know the aviation more or less from the back door, uh, from the the view of a pilot. Yeah. So um, so that's actually when 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 this call when this request comes, I was like, why not? I've seen I was 13.5 years with the company actually. I thought maybe it's time to learn something new because I was always telling my colleagues, my people to say, after a while, if you feel you can, there's nothing more new to learn, maybe it's time to move on, right? I always encourage my people to look for 
opportunities to further advance themselves. And now I was placed in front of me this question, there's a chance, but then you need to leave. You have to go somewhere else, start a new industry, right? And uh, I thought to myself, I was, I'm young enough to take that challenge again. And then I decided to move, yeah. And I'm very happy that Lufthansa picked me because they surely have many, many interviews with many, many experienced uh, people and they finally picked me up for the job. And that's great. So you're, you're in a different industry, but uh, ostensibly you're still in procurement, uh, but, 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 but an organization in a different industry. Um, it must have been a different challenge, a different environment. To, to talk us through how, how, how it's been with Lufthansa. Lufthansa is a leading aviation group, right? Before the crisis in 2019, we had a group revenue about 36.4 billion euro. We have group airlines like uh, the German Lufthansa Airlines, Swiss, uh, Austrian Airlines, Brussels, and Eurowings. And we have large MRO business, Lufthansa Technics. And we have, you know, Skyship, LSG, for instance. We have many, many you know, service companies. So it's really a giant company with global operations in major cities, you can imagine. So uh, it's very dynamic, I have to say. Aviation is different than the industry I was used to. Um, so it's, it's a new, new, new field for me. But nevertheless, procurement is procurement, right? There's basic principles. Uh, doesn't matter what you buy. So there's always the basic principles. So what I did is actually, um, uh, when I entered the company, um, one of my colleagues, the very early stage asked me, hey, what's, what's your vision? What do you want to achieve here at Lufthansa Group? I said, it's not about what I want to achieve. It's all about what we want to achieve together. So I organized uh, many uh, you know, strategic workshops, worked with all the head of procurement from different airlines, we basically came up a, um, a kind of strategic plan. We call it a five-year plan. In the world, it's a procurement vision 2025. And we want to you know, change uh, or improve our positioning of procurement from just a back office procurement, doing purchasing orders or doing some negotiations to much more um, strategic level. We'll be the partners of our demand organizations and also truly contribute to the business growth. So that's actually our new positioning of the whole uh, function. And I'm very happy that uh, we have achieved really good alignment. Uh, I'm really happy today we're working together as a team. And uh, doing so, we have been able to improve tremendously our cost-saving performance. So basically what I did at ABB, uh, I brought it also here to, to Lufthansa, really looking at how do we do proper business partnering? How can we be early involved in different projects, uh, product design phase, but also how do we integrate the ideas from, from uh, suppliers into our operations, right? That alone has helped us uh, within uh, 12 months time, we were able to improve our saving performance over 50%. Yeah? So I think that was a um, very big step forward for, for the whole function. And uh, then of course, COVID started. The last 12 months, it was uh, all about price management, all about you know um, keeping the, the supply chain sustainable and same time you know um, fighting through the crisis. Because the crisis is not over for us yet, so there's still a long way to go. But we were not only managing liquidity very successfully the first uh, couple of months, 
we shift gears very quickly uh, in the middle of the crisis, already looking at what can we do additional besides only negotiations, right? So we came up with the, um, an idea called uh, zero-based spend approach. Basically, we went to demand organizations and you know work with our colleagues, showing them that here the specification, here are the price tags. So do we still need such specifications in the future? Yeah. We know that business travel is not coming back 100%. So what can we do to look at, take out this complexity coming from a history? Right? I think this is really uh, perceived very well from the demand organizations. And in the meantime, we use this zero-based spend approach you know, in many different contexts in, in the organization. And I think that's very interesting, you know, the, the challenge that's been presented to you uh, as a result of uh, taking over at Lufthansa, because, of course, you came from a strategic perspective to, to do a mindset change almost to, to set up procurement to become a more strategic function, a business partner. Uh, but then you have this um, this global event that forces your hand to uh, place procurement in a position where you're innovating and becoming fundamental to the business. So, um, and of course, you are only able to do that by being agile enough and having the having the experience from from other areas. So, if you encapsulate everything you've done, I mean, here you are with Lufthansa at the moment, having undertaken transformations at ABB and and been recognised for innovation in other um, positions you've had. What would you say has been the highlight of your career so far? The highlight of my career. I would say there are some moments uh, where we really celebrated success, meaning we are one of the top performers, or we, when we join the industry benchmarks or surveys, we see we are um, ranked very high across industries or compared to our peers on the market. I think those are the moments which is uh, on the business context, which make me very, very proud. What I'm particularly proud of was actually, I always have a really great team I think I create a great team in January to really say or change the way we're doing business together. It's all about collaboration and supporting each other. I think that's something I'm particularly proud of. I was crying when I went left ABB with my teams. Uh, you know, that's a lot of strong emotions towards the company, but also especially towards the people who I work with over you know, decades. And so I think that's also something I'm particularly proud of, especially now if I look at back to the last two years. I think we have demonstrated in good times, we were able to achieve much better performance than the past with the same organization, same resources. We, in bad times or in crisis time, we have demonstrated we cannot, we can, we can do not only flying high, you know, in a peaceful situation, but when the turbulence comes, when the emergency numbers arise, we were able to really, you know, put ourselves uh, really on the ground you know, roll the sleeves and then do things really like operating fire do us every day, right? Mm -hmm. I think this is um, a strong um, testament for us to say, hey, you guys have did fantastic jobs for, for the last uh, uh, 24 months. And I'm particularly proud that my team has been went through with me through all these uh, up and downs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you happy you embarked on this career in procurement? I'm very happy uh, that I did choose uh, procurement at that time. But I think now, since I'm very mature, I look back to my 25 uh, years of procurement. I thought if I had chosen the path of sales, if I'm neglecting now, I have to drink alcohol with the customers, all the rest, I would say I would have also done a great job over there. 
if you're going to give advice to someone who is thinking of getting into the profession of procurement, what advice would you give them today? For people who want to come into procurement, yeah, if, if, I, I would it, say um, there's, there's some basic requirements, right? If you're really a person like to do very analytics, analytic skills, uh, but also ready to look for solutions, you like negotiate, you like to work with people, you are flexible in finding those solutions. You are flexible with also moving targets yeah? because you never know when you look at your phones, there may be a short message to say we are short of some material. You have to get it within 24 hours. Yeah? So there might be also um, uh, natural disasters happens, right? So I think be really fit for, for um, data, for information, be able to use nowadays a lot of data available in internet or specific tools in your company and be able to read those data and translate those data into into day-in-day operations. Uh, but also have a big heart to the people, for the people you are leading. I think this is something it's um, it's a it's a unique challenge, right? You have a group of people who are who are really looking at the costs, they're very cost conscious. Same time you want to also grow the talents, so be also willing to invest on in your talents, you know, give them possibilities and uh, be there to supporting them. But I think in general, procurement is a lot of fun. I have to say, that's never boring. It's, it's not like you can anticipate by eight o'clock when you start what's happening in a day, right? Especially if you work in an operative procurement environment. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a lot of challenge, but if you're ready up to that challenge, then welcome to the procurement world. <laughs> that's excellent. Do you have a motto in life, Angela? Well, and if you do, what would you say it is? Yeah, for me, I think uh, maybe I lived my life so far is really when the opportunity has been placed in front of you, even though you don't know what so exactly what would that be and how it would come in the future. But I think I take each and every opportunity to say there's something you can master yourself, you can change, you can improve, you can also grow yourself. Angela, it's been great catching up. Procurement is a lot of fun indeed. Thanks for taking the time. Best of luck with the, with the 2025 plan and uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon. All the best, Thank Angela. You very Take much. care. Yeah, it was a pleasure talking to you. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Beyond Sourcing podcast. You can also visit the link in the description box below for more resources about some of the strategies discussed by our guests.